Hello everyone, it's Mark Godega here. Welcome to the NT Pod, a podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 70 and today we're going to be looking at views common to friend and foe. I've been looking recently at criteria in historical Jesus research and looking at the way that New Testament scholars work with these criteria to try and establish what they think Jesus said and did. And I have a generally fairly sceptical perspective to the use of these criteria, which we'll get back to a little bit later today as well. But one of the problems about a lot of recent discussion of criteria in historical Jesus research is that there's a sort of cliched set of criteria that people think that they use. There's a there's a set number in the toolbox. Scholars particularly love the criterion of embarrassment, they particularly love the criterion of multiple attestation, and then on a secondary level they might pull in also the criterion of dissimilarity, which we've talked about in the previous episode and so on. And what happens in this is that there are various criteria which are potentially really valuable that are not getting discussed at all. And it's one of those that I want to focus on in this episode. And it's the criterion of views common to friend and foe. Now, now let me just unpack this a little bit. When you have in historical Jesus research, when you've got two sources agreeing with one another, then that's potentially fairly helpful. But of course, as we saw when we looked at the criterion of multiple attestation, you need those sources to be independent of one another. But there's a way of nuancing this much more closely, and that's that sometimes in historical research, you're really interested where you have views common to sources that are broadly favourable to the character or the situation you're talking about, and sources that are antagonistic towards it. In other words, when you're doing history, you don't just look at the material that is produced by the winners, the material that is produced by those who are writing the propaganda. When you're looking at history, say we were doing a biography of Winston Churchill, we'd want to get a good range of opinions, wouldn't we? We would want to get stuff written by people who were broadly uh, massive uh, fans of Winston Churchill and maybe one or two rather more negative portrayals. We get a much more rounded portrait like that. And we can, when we're doing ancient history, find it really exciting and really helpful where you have a source which is antagonistic that is witnessing to the same kind of thing that you get in the sources that are favourable. The best way I suppose to explain this is to illustrate it and one of the most certain things that we know about Jesus surely is that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate was crucified probably in the late 20s, early 30s in Judea in the first century. And he was crucified on a Roman cross and that Pontius Pilate was in some way connected with this. But how do we know that? Why are we so sure about it? Well, one way we can be reasonably sure about it is that this is a view that's common both to Christians who are asserting that this is the case, but also to people outside the Christian movement who are asserting this is the case. One of the earliest sources for this is Tacitus, who in the early second century, speaks about Christ as having been crucified while Pontius Pilate was procurator in Judea. 
In other words, it's something that's shared both by Christian sources and non-Christian sources. But if one was worried that Tacitus, even Tacitus, is a little bit too late and maybe he's getting his source of information from other Christians, you can go back even earlier than that and look at something like Paul's letters. And Paul is already struggling with the idea of how people receive the idea of the Messiah getting crucified. So in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how the cross is a folly to Gentiles, how it's a scandal on a stumbling block to Jews. So everybody seems to agree that Jesus was indeed crucified on a Roman cross. It's how they interpret it that is causing the is causing the difficulty there. But no doubt what one might say in response to this is is well if all that this criterion can do is tell us that Jesus was crucified, then we're not finding out a great deal because surely that's something which, if we don't know that, then we really don't know anything about Jesus. And I think that would be a fairly reasonable point, although I might want to say that the crucifixion of Jesus is always a great starting place for historical Jesus research. But what else can it tell us? Well, one idea that I've sometimes played with is the fact that Celsus in the second century, Celsus is a pagan critic of Christianity, and Celsus in the second century does repeat some fascinating rumours about Jesus, one of which is that Mary, Jesus's mother, had an affair with a Roman soldier called Panthera. And what's curious about this is that it's agreeing with the Gospels, with, with Matthew and Luke, that Jesus was conceived out of wedlock, that Jesus was an illegitimate child. And it just could be that what Celsus is doing there is witnessing to an early tradition, even though that tradition has been interpreted differently by Christians who are interpreting the thing as a virginal conception and by pagan critics of Christianity and probably Jewish critics of Christianity too, who see it as an actual affair. Now, the problem about this is that it's always possible that Celsus is simply taking something which was a well-known feature of early Christianity, the claim that Jesus was born of a virgin, and kind of warping it and, and engaging in a kind of scurrilous rumour, tittle-tattle kind of thing. But nevertheless, I do think it's interesting. It's potentially something that is shared by both friend and foe and may just point to something that was at least widely known by people that talked about Jesus, that he was born illegitimately. Perhaps. I'm not going to put any money on that one, but perhaps that was the case when uh, when we're looking at this stuff. But if Celsus can help us on that, then what about other things that Celsus says? I should add, by the way, that Celsus, uh, his work is, is not actually any longer extant in itself, and we only have access to it because the Church Father Origen wrote a refutation of Celsus called Contra Celsus.